continues on to step up performance. All right, well, we're here to talk about professionalism. And unfortunately, uh, professionalism is one of those things that uh, musicians could use a whole lot more of. Uh, some of the things I've seen over the years, performances uh, that I've had, I think maybe might amaze you. <laughs> well, maybe they won't amaze you. Because maybe some of you in here are going to sound kind of like some of the stories you tell. But, uh, you know, from forgetting equipment, you know, you, you drive, you know, you drive from, say, Detroit to Lansing, and say you're the drummer, and uh, you forget your throne or your bass drum pedal. So then for the whole first half of the, uh, of the, of the gig, you're beating the drum bell, oh, the, the, uh, the drum with your right hand, right? And this is a fusion gig. <laughs> you know, army kind of gig. So you need a lot of bass drum. From things like that, they're coming to performances with the wrong clothes on, showing up late, you know, really shooting yourself in the foot. Not being prepared, not being organized, not knowing what's going on, not giving uh, the band leader um, what it is that he needs from you so that he can feel comfortable, he, he or she can feel comfortable calling you back. That's really what professionalism is about. It's about making the band leader, making the people that are employing you feel comfortable that you're not going to make them look bad. That's, you know, a lot of this. That's what this is about. All right, so let's get right into this. Professionalism for the working musician. Whenever I uh, meet a new person, uh, I'm not an extrovert, so you can't use the excuse that you know, I'm not extroverted, so I just sit in the corner. You know, you can't use those kind of excuses. I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm painfully introvert. But, because I want to work, I realize that I need to be social. Now, be social doesn't mean that you have to talk to someone that you know, don't know for long periods of time. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that you have something have something to say, you know, you show some interest in the person, you ask a couple questions, you get a couple responses, that's it. That's all it takes. It doesn't take more than that. So when I see people that I know, and when, when I see people that I don't know, I always introduce myself. I say, hello, how are you doing? I extend my hand, handshake, not the dead fish handshake but, you know, firm handshake so that they know, you know, what I'm about. That they're not going to wonder if there's something wrong with me because I'm just sitting in the corner by myself, you know, uh, humming bebop tunes, <laughs> you know, so what's wrong with this guy? So, <laughs> so anyhow, uh, so uh, if I'm at a performance, I just got done playing, 
if I feel really good about my performance or if I don't, if somebody gives me, uh, you know, they say, you know, I really appreciate your performance, I like your performance. If I felt like I played the worst stuff I've ever played in the world, I still say thank you. I appreciate the support. You always so respect the people that are coming to, you know, put food on your table, right? You always respect people that are, are there appreciating what it is that you have to do. So you're always respectful to people that you meet. You're always respectful to your audience. And as people take uh, make interest in your uh, have an interest in your in your music, you always show that appreciation. Respect people's time. This is a bad one for musicians. For a lot of musicians. Respect people's time. Now, there's a few different things to think about when we talk about this. One is just, you know, be on time. You have a rehearsal, you have a performance, whatever it is, be on time. And on time is not, it starts at 5.30, so I get there at 5.30. That's not on time. That's late. To be early is to be on time. Be on time is to be late. So you need to be there early. If that means you have to be there 30 minutes early to make sure that you're ready for downbeat, then that's what that means. But getting there, you know, two minutes to spare, that's that's late. Okay, that's one thing. Another way to respect people's time is to be prepared. You have to be prepared. No sense in showing up on time if you can't play the music. Then you can look at the music. They took the time to get you a recording. They took the time to, you know, maybe email you the music. Or maybe they put it in your hand. And you didn't even look at it. So then you're sight reading in the rehearsal. There's three rehearsals. Personal practice. One of the rehearsals, sectional rehearsals, of rehearsals, and a large ensemble rehearsal. And one thing that always that, that always gets on directors and band leaders' nerves is they spend all this time putting the book together. They spend all this time putting the book together, making sure that you had the music. But then most of the time, people still wait until they get to the rehearsal before they even look at it for the first time. Now, if you want to work, then you won't do that. Work. If you don't want to work, then then you can do that. But please don't do that. Okay? Please don't do that. Always turn your cell phone off during meeting or rehearsal. Why do you have your cell phone on for? Sometimes people forget, understand that, but get in the habit of at least turning it on silent or turning it off. If the person can't have your undivided attention, then it's, I mean, it's a sign of disrespect. Your phone keeps ringing, you're actually answering the telephone in a rehearsal. Oh, come on. You imagine what would happen? You know, I, I'm not that much into reality TV. 
but uh, uh, you know, uh, what is it, the Donald Trump show, what's the name of it? The Apprentice. The Apprentice. And uh, you think that they would have their phones, you know, ringing when they were in a meeting with him? You think so? And do you think they would answer the phone? Okay? So that gives you an idea. In the business world, no, we wouldn't really be too happy. You know, people wouldn't be too happy with that. But for whatever reason, I've seen this several times. People answering the cell phones in rehearsals. I don't understand that. It doesn't even make any sense to me. It's just not professional. It's just not professional. Okay, now, since I'm a band leader uh, a lot of the time, I'm also a side a lot of the time. Uh, I like some of these next things you want to say. Always compliment the band leader. <laughs> Always compliment the band leader. Well, you know, the band leader's doing a lot of work. He's working hard. He or she is working hard. So, you know, some appreciation for that is always great. And remember, Band leaders are humans, so a little stroking of the ego is good if you want to get a call. Right. Now, say for instance, if if there are two great piano players that this band leader has been working with, you happen to be one of them, and one of them just keeps his mouth shut and doesn't say anything, doesn't say anything positive or anything negative, just doesn't say anything, and the other one comes up always as encouraging, is always friendly, strikes up conversation. Who do you think is going to get the gig? The person that has established a relationship, even if it's by just saying, just making a couple of comments. Doesn't take much. Doesn't take much at all. You know? And let, let me tell you, I don't like it when people try to stroke my ego. I don't like that. I don't like it when people you know, just say nice things for no reason. And I'm like, what are you trying to get from me? You know, I, I, it's almost gets like that with me. But even I can appreciate if somebody has something constructive and positive to say. You know, so always compliment the band Don't volunteer in any information, but be conversational and friendly. Don't volunteer any information. Don't volunteer any information. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean, what, what I mean by don't volunteer any information is if I'm in a rehearsal and um, you know I'm just trying to rehearse the music. I wrote the music. I know what I want the music to sound like. Okay, and I have somebody that is making certain kinds of comments about whatever is going on. Or you, you know, you could you could have wrote this like this. Why don't you check this out? You know, if you 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 know, right here I can't sing the beat in this measure. You know, it's better if you you know write it this way. You know, um, see when you do that, you have to you have to realize that a lot of a lot of band leaders, a lot of people that can hire you, are also insecure. Now, I like it personally when people point stuff out. I don't like it if they do it in the middle of rehearsal. But I like it when people point stuff out to me. And that's fine. But there's a lot of people that don't like that. 
And so if you're, if you're uh, giving them too much information, telling them a little bit too much about this and a little bit much about that, it's not a good idea. It's just not a good idea. But you should be conversational and friendly. So what I'm saying is, you meet the person for the first time, you're in a rehearsal with them for the first time, or maybe for the first couple of rehearsals, you don't need to volunteer any information, but you can still be conversational. If they say something, and you have to gauge, gauge this with the person, when they say something, you have to figure out how much should I say, and what's appropriate, and what's not appropriate. And if you're talking too long, it's, it's, it's not appropriate. You have, to, you have to talk not very much in that situation. Okay. Let the band leader lead. Let the band leader lead. This is kind of an extension of the last couple of things I said. You want the band leader to feel like he's the leader. You don't want the band leader to feel like he or she has to answer you every time you make a decision, every time he makes a decision. Every time he says, okay, we're gonna do it this way. The band leader doesn't wanna to have to, you know, field your questions and objections every time. They just don't, I mean, it's just, it's just not efficient. And rather than dealing with that, the band leader is just going to say, you know, I just got to give you somebody else. And you might be a great player. You might really be able to play. But after a couple of rehearsals of that, then, well, I don't need to deal with them. It's just, I mean, I mean, and, and you know, take it for what it is, but that's, you know, that's been my experience. Always record your performances, preferably video. Preferably video. Now, I would say that this goes on, along with uh, rehearsals also. I'd say record your rehearsals. I don't think you need a video your rehearsals. But record, record your rehearsals also. Because some stuff probably will go on in rehearsals that you don't remember exactly. And you want to remember so that the next rehearsal, everything is better. Okay? The more often that you record yourself, the closer that you can get to uh, perfecting your craft, the closer you can get to that. The, it also gives you uh, a very clear uh, picture of what the audience hears because the recording doesn't lie. Okay? It just it just doesn't lie. It's it's right on. It's telling you what happened. The reason I said preferably video is you never you never know what you may be able to use for something later. I have a ridiculous collection of audio and video recordings of things I've done, from lectures and lessons to performances, all kinds of stuff. Just a ridiculous collection. And I mean, and that's that's and that's good because I can. In fact, one time I, I went back and I actually put a CD out 
that was a live performance. It was something that I recorded live. But the performance was good, and the sound quality was good, and I put it out as a CD. So you never know what, what you might be able to do. And now they have these uh, recording devices, I see one right here, that don't cost very much. They don't cost very much at all. And the audio, the sound quality is very high. Uh, and actually, in some cases, better than CD quality. So you have everything you need. So always record, always record, preferably video. Stop procrastinating. Stop procrastinating. Yeah. I, uh, a while ago I had a student come to my office. <coughs> and apparently they had an epiphany. They figured, it was like they, it's like they figured something out. And I was like, okay. So they share it with me. He says, you know, what my problem is, is that I just procrastinate. I'm a procrastinator. You know, like it's like, uh, you know, like it's uh, ADD or something, or anything else, or some kind of issue that people have, or some developmental challenge that somebody might have. And procrastination is not that at all. Procrastination is something that every single person in here, including myself, struggles with. Procrastination. It's not a disease you can't take a pill for. You can't. Stuff is just not going to get better. The only way to fix procrastination is by stopping procrastinating. That's the only way to fix it. Stop doing it. One step at a time. One thing at a time. Just don't procrastinate. You had the syllabus all quarter. Now all of a sudden, you now all of a sudden, oh, it just came up on me. No, it didn't. It, it, it didn't sneak up on you. You knew exactly what was going on from the beginning. Stop procrastinating. You know? And one of the reasons that a lot of people are late to getting this stuff is because they're procrastinating. They put the stuff off so late so that they're running around putting out a fire when they're supposed to be across town at this gig, this performance. Because they procrastinate. Stop procrastinating. Just don't do it. Alright? You don't need 12 steps for this, just one step. Stop procrastinating. One step. Okay? I mean, and this, and there's nothing, and there's nothing easy about it. There's nothing easy about it. It's not like, um, you know, I can tell you something, or anyone can tell you something for that matter, that doesn't just basically incorporate maybe a nicer, friendlier way of saying stop procrastinating. But that's what it is. You just have to stop procrastinating. Okay, now this next thing, uh, this is going to uh, seem a little strange. Never say no. Never say no. Now, uh, now, when I say this, this, 
you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still working on this. But never say no. Never say no is the, is the, is just the idea that if I'm trying to work, especially as a freelance position, if that is what I'm making my money doing, okay, if I'm working as a musician and I tell someone no that I can't do a gig, what's going to start happening is I'm going to stop getting calls. And I don't know why, exactly why this works this way. I don't know why it works this way. But in my experience, as soon as I told one person no, that it would start to dry up the number of calls that I would get. And so I adopted the, uh, I adopted the, uh, the policy of never say no. Now, when I say never say no, there are times when I have conflicts. There are times when I have other obligations. So when I tell someone that I can't do something, I'll always follow that by, you know, I can't do this performance, but you know, I, I really, really want to play with you. Please don't take this personally. You know, everything happens on the same day. I just really, I really want to play with you. Please call me back. Please call me again. I really want to play with you. I mean, I'll say it even that aggressive and that assertive because for whatever reason, as soon as you tell someone no, it starts, a, it starts a chain reaction. Because what, what you hope happens is if I go and perform with someone and that person really liked the way that I played in their group, they liked my attitude, I was professional, I was on time, I did everything I was supposed to do, and they liked my playing, everything was cool, then somebody's gonna call them at some time and say, hey, uh, I need a saxophone player. You have somebody that you could suggest to me, right? And then I'll say, oh, I'm sorry, and then the, the, the person, you know, if, if I did the gig with them, or if I couldn't do the gig, but I was very positive and said I really wouldn't play with them, then they'll probably think of me, the referral. But if I just say, no, I can't do it, then in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, you know, they might not, you know, they might not really want to do the gig, so then they won't even suggest my name. And that seems to be the way that that works. So if you don't want that to happen that way, and you do have other, because, you know, look, everybody uh, that is worth anything in this business, that, you know, that can really play, that has the right kind of attitude, that's on time, that doesn't, they're going to have other obligations at some point. They're going to have conflicts. You know, they're not going to be able to take every single gig that they can call for because they're going to have other things that they're doing at those times. Okay? So that's, that's not bad. That's good. You know, but as soon as you say no, then what happens is you, uh, you, you end up giving them the wrong impression, even if you didn't mean to give them the wrong impression. You meant to give them the right impression, but it ended up wrong. So that's why I, I overstated that I really want to play. That is that, that that's really, you know, my priority is to is to perform, you know. I always say that. Okay? Alright. Quickly return emails and phone calls. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten an email or a phone call. And because I called back first or I emailed 
first, I got video. We're in, in an information uh, age now. Information age. Everything is very fast. And so if you don't answer your email, if you don't check your email on the regular, if you don't check your voicemails on the radio, you're probably missing out on gigs. And probably some of you in here have probably lost out on an opportunity because you didn't get back as fast as you could, could have or should have. And then what happens is because you didn't even get back with them, that's like telling them no. Except for it's worse because you didn't even respond to them. So why are they going to refer you to anyone else? You see how this works? Okay. Type everything. Nothing is ever handwritten. Everybody hear that? Nothing is ever handwritten. Nothing is ever handwritten. Okay? If I go to a meeting with a club owner, say for instance, I go to a meeting with a club owner, sit down with him, and I just wanted to show him some of my ideas, you better not pull out a folded scrap of paper with some, with some jotted down stuff. I'm telling you, a lot of people think that that's appropriate. I don't know why, but a lot of people think that that kind of stuff is appropriate. I don't know, I, I never tried that. I have to say, I never tried that. But never, ever give someone something that is handwritten. It's always typed. It is always typed. As a matter of fact, uh, with, with uh, uh, Finale and Sibelius and all these other notation programs, you should never give somebody uh, uh, handwritten music. Not anymore, you should. Because it communicates too much. It communicates too much. You know, people want people uh, that are computer savvy, that they're, you know, up to date, everything else. And if you don't have that expertise, you need to develop it now. Okay. Look at school as a way to get your professionalism to go. Okay. School is not getting in the way of your education. Use school as a way to actually get to the place that you need to. All these classes and all the responsibilities that you have right now, if you learn how to stay on top of it and stop procrastinating, you can use school as a way to make you a successful person. When you get out of school and then you have a lot more time, then you can use that structure and that organization to get yourself where you need to get to. To accomplish the kind of things that you need to accomplish. So use school as that kind of thing, as opposed to let me just get it done and out of the way. You can be developing certain things about yourself when you're in school. Okay. Always take notes during a meeting because it communicates that you are paying attention. I have a meeting with the club owner. I'm sitting at the table with the club owner. And maybe he's saying some details about what it is that he wants me to do or some ideas that he has. If I don't take notes, then what that tells him, even if he even if he says this or not, he may not say it. Okay? But with a club owner that is thinking is 
how is he remembering all this? Or this must not be that important. This must not be that important. You never want to give that impression that you don't value every single thing that's going on in those meetings. You never want to do that. So you always take notes. Always take notes. And it might, it, and you know what? Frankly, they might not be really saying much, but you still take notes. You know, this is like all those little things that add up to, to a whole lot. Always pursue excellence in everything that you do. Never be satisfied. Okay? Well, the only thing I pursue excellence in is, 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 is playing the oboe. Since I'm world <coughs> everything else is great. No. Because unfortunately, being world class at playing the oboe doesn't, you don't eat on that. You eat on marketing that. You eat on playing with other people. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's how that works. That's how it works. And I have this thing over here that says pursue excellence in all things. But then right above it, it says don't compare to local standards. Don't compare to local standards. I think maybe a lot of us think that we're doing pretty good because we stack up pretty good against Columbus musicians or you know people that are in Columbus. And the fact is, is that Columbus is in the Midwest. Columbus is not like a great place for cutting edge art, or it's not like you have. <laughs> A whole lot of places to showcase that kind of art in Columbus. It's just not a great place to to establish your standard. If you want to, if you if you have to have a place to establish your standard, you should go out east or go out west. At least you get a clearer understanding of what's really going on. Okay. So never when you say because the word excellence is about setting a new standard. So then there's no such thing as regional excellence. I don't even know what that is, regional excellence. I'm the best in Columbus. Who cares? I mean, you should, your goal should be to be the best, period. To be the best that you can be, period. Regardless as to who else is out here and who's looking at you and your friends and stuff like that. Don't even think about that. Excellence is excellence. Respect the audience. When you're performing, always respect the audience. Always respect the audience. No Miles Davis. Okay? And some of us, you know, we, we think that, oh, that was so cool, he could disrespect the audience. You know, he could have his back to the audience, and, and it was cool. No, it wasn't cool. Profoundly disrespectful. Profoundly disrespectful. And totally an ego trip. It just showed how much uh, immaturity he actually had. And I know, and okay, and I'm probably just lost some people because I was criticizing Miles. You know, he's the king of the world and everything. I love Miles. I love his music. I love everything that he, all his contributions. But turning your back on the audience, come on, man. 
That's just it's just not it's just not appropriate. It's wrong. It's just wrong. Okay? But you always respect the audience. When the audience claps, you, you, you always appreciate what the audience is giving you. Always. Okay? Now I'm really, really hard on myself. I'm really hard on myself. There's never a performance I've had that I was like, oh yeah, that was the best thing ever. I'm always actually very critical about how I sound. And I, at a point in time in my life, I was flirting with the line. And the line I'm talking about is there's a line where there's a line where I could be so I could be critical about my own playing to the extent that if someone ever gave me you know, they, they gave me kudos or they gave me some praise or something that I that I just played and I knew that it was horrible, that I could almost lose respect for the person. Okay? Now, I'm, what I'm saying right now is not, I'm, I'm sure some of us in here have probably experienced that or felt that way. It's like, how could you, what were you listening to? How could you think that that was any good? See, the thing is, is that the audience is not, they don't care about, they're not thinking about what you're thinking about. They're thinking about the energy, you know, what, what it was that you were giving. That's what they're responding to. They're not responding to the, the fifth bar and the note that you played a little flat in that measure. They're not thinking about that. They don't even care about that. So you always respect the audience, you always appreciate what the audience is giving. Always. Never discuss band politics in front of the audience. Never discuss band politics in front of the audience. Say, for instance, you had a bad performance, something went wrong, technical difficulties, whatever it was. Never call somebody out. Never call somebody out in front of the audience. Never do that. You know, and it can be very frustrating at times. And I've been ready to slug somebody a couple of times because of something that they did, or because of the fact that they just showed up so late, you know, that I had to start the game without. You know, I could, I mean, I'm not a violent person, but, you know, music is pretty serious to me. It's very personal, so I don't really like people disrespecting the music, but that's still no reason to, to let the audience know that you feel that way. Never allow the audience to see that. You talk about that behind closed doors somewhere else. All it takes is one time for a club owner or for, or for a concert promoter or for anything to see that. That's all it takes is once. And they'll just basically just think that there's something, that the band is not stable, that there's something wrong with the chemistry of the band, and then that's it. So you can't do that. I know it's frustrating, but you can't do it and you have to dress appropriately. Dress appropriately. You don't need to show up at, you know, you don't want to show up for a meeting with a, with a band leader looking like Kimbo Slice. Nobody knows who Kimbo Slice is? I was expecting to get some laughs on this. That's horrible. You guys let me down. But you don't need to go there looking like Kimbo Slice 
you know, looking like you don't have any sense. You know, torn up jeans. You know, oh, this is just my vibe. <laughs> well, your vibe needs to change if you want to work. Okay, that vibe stuff that only works for like 0.00003% of musicians that happen to have like major recording contracts. Okay, that only works for them. For the rest of us, you don't get to have a vibe. You're either professional or you're not. You're either working or you're not. Now, on that note, uh, I would like to uh, introduce someone that is very near and dear to me. My, uh, my lovely wife, uh, Lori, uh, Lori Walsh. <laughs> uh, she is a beautiful woman and all that. She's very, she's very talented. This is uh, so creative. Most, she does all the stuff I can't do, include, including talk about um, clothing and being appropriate and having manners and all those kinds of things. Not that I don't have manners. <laughs> well, I have some manners. Her manners are much better than mine. Anyhow, she's a dancer and a choreographer. And she's uh, an interior decorator. She's a model. You can tell that what he's looking at. <laughs> and she's beautiful. <laughs> so let's have a look. Hello, this my part will be very quick and very painless. Okay. Um, first of all, one of the things I was listening as he was talking, it just amazes me how many professions there are that they don't teach you how to be professional. I went to school for dance, they never talked about how you act when you go to speak with someone, how you act when you're trying to get a job. They never talk to you about that stuff. I've trained everyone from flight attendants to pilots to salespeople, which none of them in their profession, no one ever talked to them about how to meet people, how to greet people, how to talk to their clients, and they all had degrees, so it amazes me how much we don't have. So just listening to the information he was giving you, I think is excellent because so many people just miss that whole part and they miss out on so many potential jobs simply because they don't have that part. One of the first things I'll tell you is you have to be confident. I have watched several of you play and I've seen you play, you're, you're tremendous and you can tell the people that will just ooze confidence. Now, confidence is a whole different era than snootiness and you know things like that, but what are we attracted to? Just think about what we're attracted to. Are we attracted to the person that's walking around like this? No, we're attracted to the person that comes into the room, they have their head up high, and they look like they know what they're talking about. And they know what they're doing. Those are the people that we're attracted to. There are so many musicians on campus. There are even more musicians in Columbus. Therefore, you have to stand out. You can't be just like everybody else. You have to be a step above everybody else so that they will remember you when you come to meet with someone. Okay. A couple of things that I would like for you to remember, if you don't remember lots else that I say to you today, I want you to remember image, the word image, 
and then I'll talk to you about your professional kit as a musician. So the first thing we'll talk about is image. You literally have seven seconds to make a first impression on anyone. When you see someone for the first time, you know immediately whether what you feel about them, what vibe you get from them, what sense you get from them, whether you can relate to them. You know that within a couple of seconds. If you don't believe me, think about people that you want to ask out on a date. When you see them across the room, you know instantly it's like, mm, not that one. You know? Or you know, mm, okay, maybe. We know that instantaneously, so as a professional and a musician, that's the first thing that people are going to think when you walk into their presence. So the first thing you want to do with image is you want to introduce yourself. Introduce yourself. Say your name to that person. Even if you've talked to them on the phone, you walk in there, you say, hello, I'm Dan, nice to meet you. Because then it's stuck in their head. They'll remember it again as well. Okay, the second thing with the M, you want to make eye contact. Nobody likes a person that looks shifty. You know, you can't look at a person. We don't trust people that can't look at us in the eye. So you want to make sure that you look at them right in the eye. Okay? The A, you want to make sure to then acknowledge them by name. Call out their name because then it becomes personal. And they know that you're engaged in whatever they're talking about and what's happening with them. Once you've acknowledged them by name, you're going to give them their full attention. All the attention that you have, just as, as Sean said, when you're speaking to them, you want them to know that that's where you want to be, that's where you are, that's where your focus is, right at that time. Because whatever you say to them, as he said, it has the potential then to lead to another job. And someone will inevitably ask them about you. If you play for them, someone's going to, going to say, oh, you know, what about that person? Or do you know someone? So you want to make sure that they remember you. And then the last thing with the image is you want to extend your hand for a handshake. You always want to shake their hands. Do you guys know where the handshake came from? You know how it began? I dreamt that uh, a warrior carries his sword in his right hand, and if you shake hands, it means that you're that's it, it was that as well, and that you didn't have a weapon, and that you were unarmed. So when you extend your hand, that's the form of commitment that you have to a person that you are there. Just think about when people seal deals. When you seal a deal, don't you shake your hand? Even when people were little, they used to do what, pinky squares or no, what was it, blood or something that they did. But it was always the touching of the hand somewhere. It was a connectedness that you engage with another person. That makes them feel engaged and now they trust you because you kind of opened yourself up to them. Okay. So if you don't remember anything else, remember the image. You can think of how that relates to you. And then just try to do that with every person that you meet, every interview you make on, every gig that you get. When you come into the gig, you want to make sure that you are dressed appropriate. Okay, now dressing appropriate, everybody doesn't wear suits. Some people don't like suits. But unfortunately, in this day and age, to look professional, you will probably need to get one. Okay, that doesn't mean you have to go Macy's. You can go to consignment stores, you can go to thrift stores, you can go to all sorts of places just so that you will have what you need. It's better to have that and, and they see you and they feel that you're professional and you're serious. 
about what you're, what you're wearing and how you feel when you're talking to them. Because that changes things. Don't you feel different in a suit than in jeans? It makes you feel totally different. You're, you kind of stand up a little straighter. You might walk a little straighter. What do some people say? You have a little swagger or something when you walk. You just feel very, very different when you do that. And it exudes confidence. Okay? Now, the next thing I'll talk about is your professional appearance kit. What you need as a musician. And, you know, Sean tells me about, like, a lot of different things that you do a lot of different functions that you may have to, to go to or appear at or meet people or greet people, and sometimes even for your recitals at school. So I've seen some of the recitals here, I've seen some people just in suits, and then I've also seen them in, in tuxedos. So you want to make sure that you have a black suit and or a black tux. You want to work yourself up to having a tux just because there are weddings. If you play at weddings, a lot of times they will require that you have a tux. But make sure you have a black suit and a black tux. You need a white shirt, a very crisp white shirt. Now, a white shirt for your gig is very different than a white shirt that we wear to school. The one that you just throw on the floor, <laughs> that's in the corner, that's what we can wear to school. But you want at least one good white shirt that you actually don't mind taking to the cleaners. <laughs> because they can give it a nice press and it's very, very crisp and it's going to make you look a lot more professional, okay? You want to have black shirts as well. I've seen a lot of musicians will have to wear black from head to toe. That's, I've seen everything from, you can have rounded collar shirts, the banded collar shirts, regular shirts, I've even seen some t-shirts that you can get that don't really look like t-shirts, but they're just plain t-shirts, but if you wear them under your suit, it will still give you the appearance of having on all black. You want to have black shoes. If you're not one that likes to polish your shoes, I suggest you get some Vaseline. Because if you just take a little Vaseline and shine your shoes, it is the finishing product to your whole outfit. There's nothing worse than having on this suit or this tux and from head to ankle, you're absolutely smashing. Then your shoes got dust all on the bottom of them. Okay, so just, it just takes a little bit of Vaseline just to wipe it off, just to shine it off a little bit. Everyone's going like this. <laughs> I should have looked down for Okay, then you want to make sure that you have black socks. We have to accessorize, okay? An accessory when you're wearing your black and your tux, it should not be your socks. Your, so your socks should not be blue or gray or green. They should be black as well because Musicians, all of you are sitting down. If you sit on a plate, guess what? I can see all your socks. So there's nothing worse than forgetting that, and it's like, oh, I forgot. I have one of my green socks. So you want to make sure that you remember that all the way down when you're dressing. A black belt. And a lot of these things are things that you probably already have. You probably already have them. You want to make sure that you have a watch. That way you can make sure that you're on time. Nobody has to tell you what time it is, but you can, you can always know what it is. You want to have a fresh haircut. Now, fresh haircut doesn't mean that you have to cut your hair. Sean cuts his hair all the way off, so, you know, and then people have different styles. That just means that you want it to look the best that it possibly can for that day and for that time. That goes for your mustache. I know you just have to put some of the stuff when you see me on that side. You're good. <laughs> 
you're good. But make sure that your mustache, that's the same with your mustache. You don't want to have this crackly look, you know, when you're going in there. Okay, so make sure that's all fresh and neat underneath like it. Okay, and then anything else that you feel is necessary. And that might be little things like if you're going to meet with someone, you might want a mint or a tic-tac or something like that just before you go in there, just because if you're going to be talking face-to-face -face with someone, you don't want to leave them with the wrong impression. Okay. And I think for me, that is about it. The last thing I will say again is just that you need to be memorable. Just make sure that you are memorable. There are so many musicians and so few jobs at times that you want to be the person that they call. And they're going to call you based upon one, your talent, and then two, they're going to base it on what they see, their interaction with you. They're going to base it on that as well. So hopefully you guys can remember something out of, out of this that I said. Hopefully it will help.
think about adopting in all of this, because you have all of these different pieces, is that everything is business and everything is personal. Everything is business and everything is personal. So I think the strength of this position is that from the administrator's, from the administrator's position, he's not allowed to just take advantage of people that it's under because it's just business. You can, you, I'm sure that some of you have heard, you know, don't take it personal, this is business. I'm sure you've, you've heard people say that, but they were doing it in a totally inappropriate and almost mean-spirited type of way. And you didn't appreciate that because you felt that you were being taken advantage of, you know, for the sake of the team, that you weren't important to the team, you know, that type of thing that you were expendable, that hurting your feelings was, was okay. Because it's business, okay? I don't appreciate that, I don't like that. And especially with music, it's, a, it's such a personal thing. Our music is such a personal thing that it's hard to play when you're upset about something that's going on. And so rather than just say, okay, well, you just don't know how to separate business from, you know, from personal stuff, just separate business from personal stuff. That just seems a little cold. So everything is business and everything is personal. So then if you have a person that continually shows up late, it is my responsibility as a band leader to look out for everybody that's in the group, including them, but to look out for the other bandmates that are on time and doing what they're supposed to do by not just allowing them to continue to violate the rules. But then it's not my place to um, single that person out and try to, you know, make an example of them or, or to do something that I wouldn't want somebody else to do to me. See, so, and then from the and from the uh, band persons, you know, from the person that is uh, not the leader, you know, from the side band's position, then it seems to be a much more consistent thing because okay, I can trust that this. You know, this band leader is not going to just try to, you know, you know, cuss me out in front of everybody. You know, just to make an example, I can, I can trust that he won't deal with that. And I just have to also know that, you know, um, we all are friends, we all have personal relationships, but there's stuff that I have to bring to the table consistently. I have to be on time, I have to be professional, I have to do what I'm supposed to do, and do what it's called on me to do. So everything is business and everything is personal. You have a few different, a couple different leadership styles that you always hear people talk about. You know, are you an A leader or are you a B leader? Right? Are you an A leader or are you a B leader? Well, as a band leader, I found now naturally I'm an A leader. Okay? That, that means I told you to do it like this, just do it that way and it'll be fine. It's very efficient. I already have it figured out. The charts are already done. Just read the chart. Right? That's naturally where I come from. I'm an alien. But over time, I found that it was necessary for me to, to develop B leadership skills. B leadership skills. A is better because it is efficient. B is better because it actually utilizes everybody that's there. So you end up with a synergistic effect, which makes the sums of the part greater. Uh, 
I'm sorry, the sums of the whole, whole greater than the sums of the parts. So you end up with something that's greater than the pieces, individually. And so if I just want to just be efficient, be efficient, the stuff would always sound the same, it would always be the same thing. But if I'm a B leader, then what can happen, or if I can utilize some B leadership skills, what can happen is I can still be efficient, Rehearsal start on time, everything is supposed to be like this. Stuff is still on paper, stuff is still organized, stuff is still the way that I think it should be. But I also am purposely asking, asking people questions to try to get some input and to get and to pull some certain things that are in them that don't exist within myself. So I think it's important to, uh, as a great band leader, if you want to be a great band leader, uh, is to have a combination of both. And you might be more of a B leader, but I'm gonna tell you this, I've, I've had rehearsals with one too many B leaders. Nothing gets done, you just hanging out. You know, talking, having conversations and stuff. Schedule don't mean nothing. You know, everybody's time ends up getting disrespected. So you have to have skills from both, both sides. Leading a band, you have to be organized. You want to lead a band, you have to be organized. You have to be very clear articulating your band expectations. Very clear. There's nothing worse than finding out, you know, 30 minutes before a gig starts that you were supposed to be on that gig because the band leader didn't tell you what was going on. He didn't tell you that you had any. So you, I mean, so you were just at home, hanging out, maybe playing some Xbox. Yeah. And uh, so then, oh, you get a rude awakening that you've got to be across town. And of course, you're going to be late. You know, so, so be very clear articulating your band expectations. What instrument do you do expect them to play? What time do you expect them to get, get there? What time is the sound check? What time is the downbeat of the performance? What time is the rehearsals going to be? What time are the rehearsals going to get out? What music are you going to rehearse with during the rehearsals? All of that stuff, that's all with the band leader. That stuff is not very articulate, very clear. The band leader's doing a bad job. Be able to cast a vision. Be able to cast a vision. And this is just the idea that everybody wants to be some part of something that is, that is innovative, that is something that's not being done, that's like, you know, it's going to be the new thing that is done at an excellent level, that is, you know, artistically, you know, uh, challenging and, and, you know, it's going to be a great musical experience. Everybody wants to be part of that. But if when you're trying to call people and get them to get them interested, if you just tell them, hey, uh, I got this rehearsal, uh, we're gonna play some pretty nice music, you know, can you do it? I mean, who, who wants to be in who, who wants to do that? Nobody wants to do that. Hey, even if it was my thing, I I will, I don't even want to do it. So you have to be able to cast a vision to get people excited, interested in the stuff that you're trying to do. All right? 
And to tell you the truth, at, at times that's been something that I've struggled with. I've struggled with that because, you know, can't you see that it's something that you want to be interested in? Can't you tell? I mean, the music's going to be killing. You know, what else do we need? You know, that's, that's almost the kind of uh, perspective that I tend to come from. But you can't really deal with that. You can't do that. Because they don't know what's going on. So you have to be very good at casting your vision. Don't waste your band's time by not being prepared. I'm going to tell you, this gets on my nerves. I can't stand going to rehearsals where I did my homework, I know the music, everything great, but the director doesn't even know the music. The director's sitting there learning the music. What's going on here? This is your person. You're supposed to know this stuff. You're supposed to know this stuff. And what kind of example are you setting for the other musicians in the band? Because you know what's going to happen. The next, the week after that, even more people won't know the music. Right? Because of gravitational pull. You know, this, this is what happens. You know? All right. Marketing. Marketing. Free and inexpensive, uh, free and inexpensive marketing strategies. Number one, the internet and viral marketing. The internet. Okay, there are so many free ways to to market yourself online. Uh, I'm, I I use Facebook and MySpace as networking tools. I have a lot of friends on there. I put on my events. Um, I, you know, videos, you know, my lesson of the week videos, other performance videos I put up there. Um, I have made several contacts with people on, uh, on there. Rather than just using it as a, as a, you know, a social tool, just to, you know, to hang out with friends, another way to hang out with friends, I decided I wanted to use it as a, an actual networking device. And I know a lot of people um, now that I didn't know and have actually gotten some gigs from doing that. And I haven't been on Facebook that long. So if you're consistent, you answer emails, it's just another thing that I answer email. You know, some people send me stuff to Facebook, some people send it to my email. I have to, I have to respond to that stuff. But viral marketing, what viral marketing is, is say for instance if I have a song or a video, I just make it free. I just make it free. Everybody can download it, anybody can get it when they want to. Then what happens is you can actually start a buzz about your music and about the stuff that you're doing. And more people can go and find, you know, your music for free. Be willing to give some of it away. Don't give it all away. Don't give it all away. But be willing to give some of it away as a teaser to get people interested in what you're doing. All right? Good. Viral marketing. Having a website. Having a website. 
Everybody in here should have a website. Well, we're just students. Website doesn't cost very much. Everybody in here should have a website. It doesn't take much of content. You need some pictures. You need some audio or video. Remember I said video everything, record everything, right? You need, uh, you just need some, a short list of things. You don't have to have a whole lot of stuff on there. You don't need, you need a bio, you know? That's it. If you have those three pages and, some, and a links page, there you go. That's all you need. All right? So, a website. Uh, and YouTube. YouTube. I, I do these you know, lesson of the week uh, videos. And it's hard for me to go to a conference, a jazz conference, or a performance. I, I haven't been able to go to go to ones, especially since I've been doing uh, the lesson of the week stuff, without people already knowing who I am. You know, people, they already have been watching the videos. And, and I don't know who they are, but it's on the internet. The internet is worldwide. Everybody can have access to that. I don't make any money doing that. I don't make any money at all doing that. But the payoff is that people know who I am. So then when I have other events and other things happening in those areas, chances are I can get more people interested in coming to them. Okay? Uh, another thing about with marketing, if you go to the other paper, the other paper, I think it's on Thursdays, the Thursday edition, they have a listing of all live music stuff that's going on in the city. Okay? That's the Thursday paper. But they also, they also, I think maybe this is on their, on their website, actually. If you go to their website, they have a list of all the live music venues in Columbus, or in the, in the greater Columbus area. Contact information, everything. You can guess what I did one time. This was shortly after I got to Columbus. I got a demo CD together, and I mailed it. I, I located specific ones out of that list, and I mailed CDs to all those, lo those locations. And I ended up with gigs responsible uh, after that. I had two regular gigs for like a year because I did that. And then I had several isolated gigs because I did that. Okay. Sweat equity. When you, when you are giving stuff away, and when you're willing to play for free, and you need to be willing to play for free, you're actually not doing it for free. You're doing it actually building equity. You're actually, you're getting yourself out there, you're getting your name out there. You know, people are seeing you, you're making connections, you're making contacts, you're getting closer to some of the band members. All of that stuff is actually adding to what's going on. So just because you simply aren't making money on a performance, just because you're not making performance, that doesn't mean that it's not adding to your value. Yes? Um, what about like engaging other musicians? Like let's say, you know, I want my trio to play out mm -hmm. um, and it's a free gig. Um, do you compensate the other musicians? Like, 
How, and, and then what if they're not willing to pay? Because I've had several people express, like, I will not take a non-paid gig because it, you know, diminishes my quality as a musician and it undercuts the other people I'm competing against. Because, you know, yeah. so I'm just, is that? Yeah, I'm aware of this, this I'm, yeah. I'm aware of this line of reasoning. And I understand that. Um, the problem that I have with it, personally, is that first of all, it basically reduces playing uh, to just for money. That's what it did. You just reduce it to that's the only place because of the money. Okay, there you go. It's, then you just reduce that whole thing to a money issue. And to me, there's so many other issues and dynamics that would make me determine if I was going to take a gig or not rather than just the money. Okay, so, but that goes back to casting a vision. It goes back to getting people excited about an opportunity to play. You know, a, an opportunity to share their music with other people. I don't like the, the uh, if you're talking about this, I don't like the union, uh, it's like the union attitude, you know, about, about playing music. You know, I'm not in a union, I don't, I don't deal with that. That's, that's, just, that's just not, I've never dealt with that. You know, I played all kinds of gigs for free. It didn't, un and, and the thing is, is who is it undercutting? How is it actually undercutting someone? Because they weren't going to take the gig for free, so they weren't going to do the gig. So then how does it undercut them? Yeah, and it always leads to work. And it always leads to yeah. work. It always leads to work. I think there is a fear that, um, especially, and I've experienced this, especially for people in, the old, in older generations, that their gigs are going to be taken over by a bunch of young students, young punk students that 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 don't you know that that are willing to just play for free because they don't have any bills, and that's that that's the you know that's the kind of the attitude. And the thing is, is that if you roll the clock back a little bit, that's probably how a lot of them got gigs because they were willing to do gigs for free, they were willing to do it for less money, you know, and and. They got excited about something that they wanted to they wanted to go and share their gift with the world. So that's the same way that they got, what I'm suggesting is the same way that they probably actually got their start. So yeah. Okay. Thanks. So anyhow, let me just say a couple more things and then I'll I'll open it up for some for a couple of questions, uh, going a little longer than I wanted to. Um, be willing to perform for free with the same level of professionalism that you would exhibit if being paid. That's a big deal. A lot of people will play a gig for free, but they won't put their whole heart into it. Mm -hmm. So it's like a half, you know, it's, it's just like half done. And that doesn't do anything to help you get more gigs. Now you just took a free gig, you didn't get paid for that. Plus, you probably factored yourself out of getting another gig because you did a half job. If you're going to work for free, play for free, those ought to be the gigs you really work your butt off. Those are got to be the ones that you really go the extra mile because think about this too. When you play and you're not getting money, there's a there's a there's a purity that exists in, with that that doesn't exist when you're getting, when you're just doing it for the money. When you're doing it because you're drawing a check. Because if you play for free, that means you really want to play. It means you're hungry. That's what it means. And, and I think people can sense that. But if you come, but if you come with an attitude like, 
alright, I'm just going to do this free gig. I didn't even listen to the music. I'm just going to wing it. But not only are you disrespecting yourself, you're showing that the only reason that you're in the music is to get paid. And you in 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 you're no better than any sellout pop musician or anything else that we complain about. Oh, they're not about the art. Well, neither are you. Sorry, but you know, you knew it wasn't going to be easy coming to this. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, um, you know, I said, you know, talking about playing for the right reasons, playing for the right motivations. Are you playing for the money or are you playing um, because you love to play? You love to perform. You really feel like you have something to share with other people. You know, why are you playing at all? You know, and if it's simplified to just a check, then I think there's something wrong with that. And to tell you the truth, if it was just about a check, I would be playing music. Because there's no money in it. Especially the kind of music that I play. Nobody was, I mean, there's no money in that. And, and, and you think I'm making like a whole lot of great teaching? No. no. I'm sorry. I have to really love what I'm doing, or else I would be doing it. Period. You know, and, and that's the kind of approach that you have to take to it with this. Because if you don't, you know, you, you, I mean, you lost already. No one an opportunity outweighs the fact that you won't be paid for it. No one that is. Okay, I'm not going to keep talking about that because it would be a little redundant. To work as a professional artist, you must be a good leader and do some performing, some teaching, and some writing. Some performing, some teaching, and some writing. You might be more of a teacher, but that performs and writes. But the performing and the writing has to be at the same level as the teaching. Or you might be a performer, primarily, that does some teaching and some writing. But every single one of those things, when you're called on to do that, needs to be at a world-class level, or she will never work again doing that. That's the way that you have to, that's the way that you have to look at it. If you miss out on a good opportunity, a writing opportunity, and oh, I just didn't really know how to do this, you know, well, but you know, but you know, I know my writing wasn't that good, but hey, but you should listen to me play saxophone. They don't care about that. They could have went and found themselves a writer. Actually, they could have found themselves a writer that probably played better than you and talked better than you too. <laughs> that's actually that's the that's the truth. <laughs> so you don't want to so you don't want to mess up your opportunities by <laughs> you don't want to mess up your opportunities by doing a lousy job and then trying to give yourself an excuse because I really do something else. Nobody cares about that. They just want their stuff done right. Okay? Uh, let's see. Support other artists. Jeez. Now see, if any one of you had a recital, you want everybody else that's in this room and you expect them to come and show support to come deal, right? Yes. Uh-huh. But how come you don't go to this stuff? 
And actually, when you go and you support another artist, that's actually a marketing opportunity. Because when you're there, you're kind of, you know, you're walking around, you're talking to people, right? You're kind of smoothing, right? You're shaking hands. Oh, yeah, you know, next week I got this performance. Why don't you come check it out? You know, oh, you know, check it out. You know, I got this thing down the street here. See? Now, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be kind of slick about it. You know, you don't want to be too over the top, but you can, but, but that's what you can do. Okay, uh, find grants and learn how to write a professional proposal. I'm not gonna go into, I'm not going to go into detail about this. Probably gonna do another workshop about this, another lecture about this. But there's all kind of money out there, you know, for for really great art. You just have to know how to find it. And then if you know how to find it, it doesn't doesn't help you to find it, but then you write a lousy proposal that looks like a second grader wrote it. You know, and it was folded up in your pocket, written with pencil. You know, that doesn't help. Alright, so you have to learn how to really write a good proposal. Alright, know your role in a band. Know your role in, in a band. You know, if you're a side man, then, then, then play the best sideman role that you can. Be supportive to the leader, be complimentary, be helpful. If, if, if they have some writing opportunities, take full advantage of that. I know a guy in town, uh, one of the baddest musicians on the planet. I mean, and one of the reasons why he works so much is because when he got to town, he took all the free gigs, he took all the rehearsal band gigs, and then he made himself indispensable to the director of those, of those bands, to the, to the leader of those bands, and basically worked himself into a musical director position where he writes all kinds of stuff for everybody, and then he gets paid more because he writes the music. So much for not playing for free. I mean, he's working all the time and getting, and getting paid. But that's not the way he plays, though. It's not for the money. It's for the love, because I can, I can ask him anytime I want to. Hey, come on over to my house. Let's, let's, just, let's just practice. Or come on over here and, and let's do this gig. It doesn't pay anything. So, oh, yeah, I'm there. And it's professional. I mean, it's as professional as anything else. Okay? Okay. Here's, here's just a, a, a short list of uh, things that I think that every band leader should have. Uh, Ori was talking about a, 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 a kick, you know, you know, you know, having suits and having the right stuff to look presentable. Um, this stuff, a lot of this stuff, is you know, kind of more about, um, you know, sound equipment, things that you need and that I can foresee that you'll probably need as a band leader. Okay. Number one, basic repair kit. Okay, basic repair kit. All right. Now, uh, for saxophones, we might have like those uh, the little screwdrivers, right? But then also you should have like something pretty basic, you know, something with a crescent wrench, in, crescent wrench in it, you know, something with a uh, pair of pliers, you know, something with a screwdriver that's got multiple, you know, uh, uh, multiple. Uh, sizes, you know, 
uh, those kinds of things. And you can get those pretty much anywhere for like 10 bucks. It doesn't take much, all right? A date book. Quit trying to remember the stuff that you gotta do in your head. Don't do that anymore. Get a date book, write the stuff down, all right? Yeah, but you know when I write it down, I can't remember anymore. So you see, that's why I don't write it down. Good luck doing in serious trouble. <laughs> business cards. Business cards. You ought to have business cards. You can get those for very inexpensive. And you can design your own. You can go to Office Max, get yourself some of those, you know, and all these printers, I mean all these printers, they come with software that, that will design business cards for you. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't have to be state of the art. It just needs to have your information so that you can get a gig, right? A promo package. Promo package is just like a demo CD, um, maybe an 8x10, a black and white glossy picture, a bio, you know, and it's usually in, in an envelope, like a manila envelope. Okay, that's really what a promo package is. An agent. Trying to work, you need to contact some agencies. Okay? I mean, no, that doesn't mean that you don't have to do the work to drum the business up. I'm just saying that's one thing that can help you to get some more work. A manager. A publisher. Remember, I said everyone needs to be doing some performance, some teaching. And some writing. So having a publisher is, is important. Plexiglass and clothes pins. I've had several gigs outside, and I remember a couple times when I didn't have clothes pins or plexiglass. And that music was flying all over the place. Yes. I found that works the best is like if you get a sheet, like a big sheet of like see-through fiberglass or like plexiglass. Right. Just put it right over top. That's exactly that's what I'm yeah. talking about. Big chunk of plexiglass, doesn't cost that much. You put it on the sand, you're good. Black suit and tie, we already talked about this. A tux, shoes, gum bun, bow tie. An amplifier. Sound reinforcement. You gotta be able to be heard. A microphone, a mic stand, a music stand. Can't tell you how many times guys have showed up to gigs and they didn't have a music stand. What are you doing? Cables and power strips. Extension cord. Instrument stands. It's nothing worse than somebody's playing you know, several instruments and they pull a chair above on the stage beside them to put the instrument that they're not playing. It just looks tacky. You know? And I've been guilty of, it, of dealing with that before. I've been guilty of dealing with that. But that's why I went out and bought instrument stands, so I didn't have to deal with that. Portable media player. So that in the, during the break, you can, you know, during the breaks, you can play some music. I'm going to tell you this. At a club or a restaurant that you're playing in, you don't want them to start playing music. Because it's not going to be the kind of stuff that you're playing. And that doesn't help you. 
Okay? Whatever you play, you want it to be in a similar style to what you're playing. Alright? A video camera. Organized band music in the proper keys and ranges. If you're the band, band leader, you gotta have a book. You need to have the book of music. And you can't depend on the band, your bandmates to be bringing the music. I, look, look, what I do is I email people music, but I have hard copies of everything. And it stays in my truck. It just that's just where it is. And so then when I get to the gig, if somebody forgot, that's alright. We're playing out of this book anyway. And guess what? I have extra stands, extra music stands, you know, extra microphone stands, extra microphones. I've got a box of stuff that I don't need. Extra patch cords, extra everything. Because I know somebody's going to forget. I had to be, remember I told you that story, story I started with. Somebody forgot a, a drum pedal. Guess what? I had one. I had one. See? Uh, fake books. You should have fake books. You never know when you, you show up to a gig and somebody starts calling some tunes you don't know. And they didn't tell you they were, that they were going to play those tunes. So always have a fake book. A laptop computer. I know probably most of you got a desktop, and probably a lot of you have a, a laptop also. But you should get a laptop. You really should get a laptop. That's something that, uh, I mean, you, should, you can take it with you. You can take it to the performance. You can play music right off of your laptop, right, during the breaks. Uh, I, I do a number of gigs where I'm playing with a program that's on my computer. Can't do that with a desktop. I mean, I've done a lot of gigs that way. I made a lot of bread. I've made a lot of bread doing that. It's not the it's not the you know most exciting gig, but being able to do that that can get you to the next place you need to get to. Band in a box. Okay, you know I was going to talk about that. That's actually the program that I that I usually use for doing those private gigs. Finale or Sibelius. Some kind of notation software. Get very proficient with it. You know, if I were to tune out in finale, and then I end up with a different instrument that plays in another another key, I don't have to sit there and retranspose it on paper. I can just push a button and it will spit it out in that key. So make that investment. Audio editing, editing software. Audio editing software. Okay, if you're, if you're recording a lot of stuff, you're going to need to be able to edit audio so that you can maybe burn a demo CD or anything else. See, if you're smart, if you record your rehearsals and you record performances, when it comes to making a demo CD, if you have auto edit, audio editing software on your computer, you can make your own demo CD. You don't have to go to a studio and spend money that you don't have. And then stand lighting and stage lighting. Stand lighting and stage lighting. I've done some gigs outside that were dark. And I didn't have all that, that music memorized. So I have two stand lights. They operate on AA batteries. I have one for me, and I have one for the guy that forgot. Yeah? 
You know, uh, I got this idea from uh, a band leader I worked with for two years. Great, great guy, great band leader. And he had this huge tote, and he had all this extra stuff that he didn't need for the game that he always brought with him. And one of the things in that in that tote was a neck strap for a saxophone. He was a guitar player. But guess what? One of the guys that he used to use before on a pretty regular would forget his neck strap. So he just had an extra. This is the kind of stuff that band leaders have to think about. That a sideman doesn't have to think about. Okay? Are there any questions about anything that I've said? Or anything that works? Any question, comments? That's the, the part about playing for free was interesting, because you always think it's not good to play for free. Or you know, if you if you play for this amount of money, then everybody, um, everybody will think that you're just at this level, right? And it's level, or you know, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think people are, are are pretty smart. I think people are smart enough to know when something is being done and what they're talking about. You know, so. You know, assigning money of dollar values to what it is that we do is, is very, it's a hard thing to do, and it's not very accurate anyway. You know, so uh, that's why I just try to take that out of it. And actually, ultimately, and Gloria and I have talked about this a lot, ultimately, I want to be able to just never take money. Only play. Because I've got money and stuff coming in from other stuff. So that when I play, it can just be totally because I just want to play. Not because I need the money, not because I have to pay rent, not because of any of that, not because I want to go and buy another DVD or you know, I want to get some, some more toys, but rather just because I just want to play. And, and this is, you know, this is my approach. I'm not forcing this on anyone else. But when I'm playing, I play for two people. Two people, all the time. It's only two people that I play for. I play for, I play for God, and I play for myself. Those are the two people. And I think that's my goal. Now, <laughs> that's my ideal goal. That's. Sometimes I slide back into playing for the wrong reasons, but those are the two things that I'm trying to play for. And if I can do that, then what's money? What does money have to do with that? It doesn't. It doesn't really have anything to do with that. So, yeah, and that's, a, that's a hard place to get to, and it's a hard thing to do, and the economy's funky, and everybody is hungry and everything else. But I think that, for me, that, that helps me to dial in. Yes? What if that's all you want to do is play, then you have to take money or you're going to start? That's correct. That's correct. That's true. You do. There's, I think um, the, the, the thing is, is that if you want to do this for a living, then 
you do have to take money. But you have to trust that the money will come as opposed to I'm doing this for the money. And, and so kind of a, it's a unstable kind of a tricky type of situation. If I am um, just concerned about being able to make enough money to pay rent, then I think that that does something to the music though. It's hard to play from a place of peace and an unmuddled and had clear thoughts about music and about what's important when that other thing is there. And so, yeah. That's challenging. Oh, it's one thing to play like a free gig. And I guess it's another thing when they ask you what your rate is. Do you have any advice for setting a rate? Great, great, great question. My dad told me one time, he said that when you are uh, thinking about how much you pay, just come up with a figure that you think that you're worth. Say, say if it's $100 uh, or $500, whatever, whatever you think the number is. But charge that number across the board. So include drive time in that, any expenses that you have, that goes against that, everything and anything comes out so that you're still making whatever that hundred, whenever all is said and done, you paid everybody else, you didn't, I mean, you took care of stuff that you needed to take care of for the, for the gig, that you still end up, say if you were playing for two hours and you had to drive a half hour both ways, plus you have an hour of set up time. You see what I'm saying? So then that's like $400, you're $100. You see what I'm saying? To take all the time. For the whole thing. To consider the whole thing. And that's it. But you know, for any particular market, you might be you might be hard pressed to find gigs that pay that much. So you might have to adjust the number. You might have to say, okay, well maybe I need to get $50. You know, or $75. I always try to get the the other person to tell me a number before I tell them a number. You know, so well, what's your budget? So how much money do you have? You know, I don't want to break it down. I'm going to tell you something that you'll be afraid of. But really, I'm just trying to get them to tell me a number so that I can ask for a little more than what their number is. You know, well, we have, oh man, we, we've got $500 for this. Uh, could you do $650? That's kind of a standard thing that I, I pretty much I pretty much use that almost every time somebody calls me. You know, and, and you have to be real slick about making sure that they tell you the number first because they're trying to do exactly the opposite. They're trying to make you say the number so that the number you say is going to be probably lower than what they actually have. So you have to just got to be slick and be clever. Anybody else? Yes. Um, what should you do if you're playing a gig with a band that's already set up and they have a regular gig somewhere and they've already set the standard as like just coming in casual dress? Should you match that or should you? I mean, because you don't want to be out of place, but you don't want to project a bad image on yourself either. Yeah. 
I would probably, probably yeah, that's a, that's a tough issue. I understand that because you don't want to lose your gig because you just show up and you guys oh they have tuxes on and they were wearing jeans, you know, because that that sends a kind of a funky message too, you know, like you're better than them or something like that. What I would do is I would dress just a little bit better than they did, just a little bit, so that it doesn't seem like you're trying to put it in their face. But then again, so that everybody else sees that you guys are you're just a little sharp, you're just a little cleaner. You think it's the same thing? I, I would, but if they're wearing jeans, then you made their black jeans. You know what I mean? Because black jeans, you can make them look a little dresser with their still jeans, and then their shirt, just make sure your shirt is crisp. And, you know, because you're still be casual, but then you're just a little bit better. Because then you'll be nervous. Not in a bad way. Because you'll still be casual, but you'll just be a crisper. A crisper casual. Crisper Crisper casual. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else? I, I just want to say, from personal experience, it was important to try to write grants because that's how I got my, my main instrument, and it's about $37,000 and an African penny. So I think it's, I try to, as soon as I see something that fits me, I try to do it because even if I don't get it, I'll get better doing it all the time. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say in scholarships too, and always having like a resume available, even if you have a job like, um, I don't know, at an ice cream store, like putting that on there um, is really good too. And I've got kind of like Marcel was saying, like I got to, to go to a jazz residency in California because I had all that documented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I have a, you know, I've got a copy of my curriculum via, which is just a glorified resume. Um, and it's got a bio in it and everything. It's on my website. You can download a PDF file on my website. You know, um, I also have a bio on there. I've got all kinds of information. Um, so, yeah, having that information and getting into the regular exercise of applying for grants and scholarships all the time. All the time, all the time, all the time. Um, actually, I got my, um, the funding for my, for my master's degree, uh, for the graduate assistantship I, I got for my master's degree, was because my father and I wrote a proposal to the president of the university. It had to do with minority recruitment. Um, and we, we, we wrote this thing, and we just hounded the president's office until he gave me the money. That's how that's how that's how I paid my, my master's degree by writing proposal. So you have you really so it really is a valuable skill. All right, thanks for coming.